Hey guys, Pastor Mike Reed here. Thankful that God led you to tune into this video sermon. Uh, our prayer is very simple. We pray that God would use the preaching of God's Word uh, to grow you more in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray it blesses you, nourishes you, and encourages you. All right, good morning. Good to be Good to be with you. If you are new or visiting, just want to say a special welcome. Glad that you're here. Glad that you get to worship with us. This is a worship service. We love to worship Jesus. I believe Jesus was God, that he did come and did live the life we couldn't live and did uh, purchase for us forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God. So we uh, love to be together to enjoy that truth. And we do that uh, a number of ways. We do that by singing songs. That's why we just sang the songs that we sang, so we can remind ourselves as to what Jesus has done and what Jesus continues to do for us as he lives in us. We also worship Jesus by sitting under teaching or the preaching of God's Word, which we're about to do, and it's a way that we are uh, more fully informed and readily reminded of the things that God has done for us in Christ. We also worship Jesus by observing the Lord's Supper most weeks or communion based upon how your uh, background is or how you've uh, grown up understanding it. We do not believe that this meal uh, adds righteousness to the work of Christ. We do not believe that it imparts in any way favor with God that you did not have apart from Christ. We believe that this is uh, a meal that Jesus continues to give us so that we can be reminded of the saving benefits um, of his goodness towards us in Jesus. And then we give as an act of worship on the silver boxes on the back wall. If you are a regular attender or member, you know that. And if you're not, we always encourage you not to give. We just want you to know Jesus and worship him uh, with your whole heart. We're going to be um, rolling into First Peter this morning, excited to be in a new book and study a new book. And if you were in a growth group, you, you got one of these guides and Thank you for your feedback on these. I want you to know a number of people were kind of involved, but two people primarily who gave the majority and bulk of their time, energy, and labor was Pastor McKinney and Julia Harrison. So just love them, give them hugs, uh, kiss them, you know, just thank them for their work. And really encouraged already this week as to how it's helping you kind of get in line with studying on your own. Uh, and also you have something pretty to look at, I guess, while you do it. And uh, it's great to hear as we go through this 20-week series in First Peter how God might use it to keep you uh, on track with us. So let's pray and then see what God would have us learn today. Jesus, thank you uh, for giving us the scriptures. Thank you uh, that you let me teach the Bible. Thank you that you give us forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God because of Jesus. Thank you uh, that you're forming your church. Thank you that you're protecting your church. Thank you that you're really faithful senior pastor. And we are, enjoy you this morning. We trust you and uh, look forward to how you'll continue to um, allow the gates of hell not to prevail against your church globally. Uh, we think of Shabazz in Pakistan and Pastor Wilson in Haiti and many other brothers and sisters that are laboring for the good cause and work of the kingdom of God, thank you that you protect even them in their places as well. And be with us and meet us in ways only your Holy Spirit can in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First Peter, if you're looking for First Peter, First Peter's near uh, kind of the end of your New Testament. So if you go to like Hebrews and James and keep pushing, you'll find Peter, First and Second Peter. Peter wrote two letters. Peter was an apostle. Peter was a disciple. Peter uh, is somebody who had a lot of moments in his life. A lot of people kind of like to peg him as the dumb, simple guy, uh, but he actually was used in profound ways for the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus Christ. And um, he had his moments. He was kind of bold and then really fearful. And then he was really bold. And then he was really fearful. You see that uh, repeatedly through the life of Peter. If you kind of 
read the New Testament, familiar with the life of Peter. That's kind of how he was. And um, he's a guy who denied Jesus. He was a guy who failed Jesus, but a guy who ultimately ran to Jesus and loved Jesus. And Jesus taught Peter what it meant to belong to him. Uh, that's something that you actually begin to understand as you look at the life of Peter. And so the courage you're going to see in this letter from Peter coming forth, you got to have background on him and understand it. It's, it's coming forth because he learned what it meant to belong to Jesus, what it meant to be an elect exile, what it meant to be uh, somebody who was chosen by God, loved by God, and continually walked with God. And so um, the, the courage you see in this letter, it is, it is a weighty book. It is a book that talks about suffering of persecution and hardship, and, uh, but how Jesus in the middle of all of that is what sustains us and even creates in us a desire to bend outward to those who do not belong to Jesus and do not know Jesus. And so um, I'm sure you guys would agree. Um, first, let me just say something real quick. You're going to hear some noise probably over that way. We're working on that and working through that, so that's not eternal. That's like, give us like a week or two, okay? So we're going we're gonna to just, just let you know those conversations are happening. All right, back to Satan. <laughs> Get behind me. Okay, so uh, now let me ask you a question. You guys know that the most faithful communicators and counselors in your life are those who have experienced something, correct, before they help you, right? So um, people who have walked through hardship can help others through hardship, really well. Um, 2 Corinthians teaches us that if you've been comforted by God, you can really comfort others well. So the things that you receive, you give. And so understand with Peter, it's the same. He learned what it meant to belong to Jesus, and that, that gave him the courage to encourage others. That gave him the ability to help people understand when you're persecuted, when you feel abandoned, that God is near, and that Jesus is at work. And so... Um, I want to give us just to get a little more appreciation for Peter, this guy Peter, over the next 20 weeks as he writes Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, Acts chapter 2, and it's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, it's the first sermon ever recorded in the New Testament after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Peter, the same guy who writes this letter, gets up and preaches the most seeker-sensitive sermon that's ever been recorded, right? So he... It's a joke. It's not. It's clear. It's bold. Some of you guys are like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. He, he gives something powerful. So I want you to just hear the Peter that you hear at Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit has come. It's, it's filled the people that are in the church. And this sermon pretty much inaugurates the beginning of the church. Here's what Peter says. Peter stands up in front of unbelievers, in front of believers, and he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man of attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with 
confidence about David, the patriarch, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath with him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God just raised up, and you all see this as witnesses, being exalted at the right hand, having received from the Father promises of the Holy Spirit, he's poured it out on yourselves through seeing and hearing. Let all those in the house of Israel therefore know certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you killed. What words would you use to describe Peter? Bold, right? Fearless, courageous, strong, rooted, right? I mean, just hearing like a little bit of a sermon. Later, right, people heard this, they're cut to the heart. They all, Peter and the rest of the apostles are like, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter goes, repent. And believe in this Jesus, every one of you, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So who was Peter prior to that sermon, right? Because a lot of people um, like to talk about Peter and be quick to judge Peter, but, but he had a genuine love for Jesus. So let me give you just a couple places real quick that help you understand Peter's trajectory that help us read this letter in, I think, a more full way. Matthew 16, this is what happened during Jesus' ministry. When Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So the disciples are walking. Jesus turns to them in his ministry. He says, hey, a lot of people are talking about me. Who does everybody say I am? And they kind of give this generic, weird, kind of floaty answer. I don't know. They kind of say, hey, there's a bunch of guys in the Old Testament, and he's probably just one of them. And then Jesus says, but who do you say I am? And I love Peter's response. Peter's so bold. He says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. You're the chosen one. You're the Messiah. You're everything. He's, he has genuine love for Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. Um, in John 6, Jesus feeds the, the 5,000, right? And, and he teaches how the things he did were the works of God. And kind of normally when, when you don't really understand something or thinks it's weird, you kind of back away. So everybody starts to leave. And, and as everyone's leaving, what does Peter say? Peter goes, I'm not going anywhere. Like, like, I realize you have the keys to eternal life, right? Um, everywhere Jesus was, Peter was. Mark 1 talks about how uh, Jesus goes off to pray, and Peter's right there looking for him, right? There's this dependence on God. Uh, Matthew 18, how many times must I forgive? Who says that? Peter. Peter says that. Um, th- this is who Peter is. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that there was, a, there was a genuine walk with Jesus in Peter's life. But during Jesus' ministry, Peter began to take his eyes off of Jesus. He began to forget that he belonged to Jesus. And so he started placing his thoughts on man's thoughts and not God's thoughts. This is Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Listen, on the list of top three people not to rebuke, Jesus. That's on the list. That's probably the only one, right? Peter, not thinking right. When your thinking gets weird, your life gets weird, your mouth gets weird, he rebukes Jesus. Oh, it's 
insane. Far, you ever read the Bible and you're like, that's insane. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Jesus, this isn't going to happen to you. I have, apparently have foreknowledge greater than you. I have omniscience that you don't have or can recall. But he turned to Peter and said something so striking. Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me if you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. So Jesus is telling his disciples amazing information. He's foreshadowing and unveiling the mystery of his future burial, death, and resurrection. He's going to be handed over to lawless, wicked men. He's going to be crucified. And Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, this isn't going to happen to you. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you're thinking more on the things of man than on God. And from this moment on, I think, in Peter's life, he stays on man's thoughts. Because you'll see later as you continue, right? Later, Jesus, before he's arrested, he tells uh, them how I think no one's gonna leave him or, be, or no one's gonna be with him. And Peter says, uh, even if everybody else leaves you, I'm not going to. And then Jesus says, Peter, you're not gonna just do it once, you're gonna do it three times. Now, why am I, why am I sharing this with you? Um, because there's a big moment in Peter's life after Jesus' arrest in Matthew 26, 58, where you read that Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. This is a different Peter, though. This is a fearful Peter. This is not a bold Peter. This is a timid Peter. He's kind of like creeping, trying to follow to see what would happen. And you guys know the story. Right, if you're familiar, you have a church background, right? He's there in the courtyard and a servant girl comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you with him? No, 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 I'm not with him. I don't know him. And then what happens? He's sitting for a little while longer and a second servant girl comes over with some bystanders and says, aren't, don't you know him? I thought I saw you in Galilee with him. What does he say? I don't know him. And then what happens? All the bystanders start coming at Peter, and I think he's just overwhelmed at the onslaught. He's probably not knowing how to respond. They're saying, yeah, you know this Jesus. And then he starts sending out curses from heaven and goes, I don't even know the guy. And then what happens? Matthew tells us he goes outside and he weeps and he weeps and he weeps at him failing Jesus. And then later, you probably know the women come to See the disciples, they see the empty tomb. I'm fast forwarding, I'm leaving out key ingredients, resurrection happened. And, and what happens? John and Peter run to the tomb. John doesn't go in, Peter goes in. He's still figuring it out. Fast forward, you have John 21, an amazing scene where the disciples wanna go out and fish and it's late, they're gonna fish through the night, they're casting their nets on the wrong side of the boat, Daylight is coming. Jesus is standing on the shore. He kind of calls out to them. They're like, they don't really know who he is. And he just kind of says, hey, you're throwing it on the wrong side. Throw it on the right side. They throw it on the right side. All these fish come in. John says, that's Jesus. Peter jumps in the water and starts swimming 100 yards to meet him. It's like this moment for, for, for Peter where he goes, that's Jesus, that's who I belong to, that's the one who loves me. That's, and there's this restoration that happens and they're walking together after they have breakfast and it's like Jesus just reminds him, if you read that chapter of, hey, just keep doing what I've asked you to do, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. 
He saw the resurrection. He was reminded of who he was. He remembered that he belonged to Jesus. He saw that Jesus still loved him despite him, and he continued doing what he needed to do. And that is what enabled in the face of persecution and pain and plight him to endure. So now he's getting up, and he's able to write a letter, and he's able to preach Pentecost because he realizes he belongs to Jesus. He's an elect exile. And that Jesus is faithful. And that Jesus is near. I don't know if you guys are familiar with dog races. Probably not, based upon all your faces <laughs> right, right now. I wasn't either until a couple of years ago. They're amazing. They're like horse races, but dogs. And uh, it's amazing if you, like, if you watch them, try to find them. YouTube them or Google them. And they, they, they basically design this rabbit that's electronic on a track that goes around the inside of the track and the dogs are trained. They're trained to chase this rabbit. Like from the very beginning, they don't look at anything but the rabbit. And there was just one time, so crazy, where they said as the rabbit was going around the track, the rabbit exploded. It's amazing, and it was just charred, and wires were going everywhere, and it lit on fire, and these dogs didn't know what to do, naturally, right? So, so what was crazy was their reactions, like dogs were, you know, circling around, some were howling, some were biting each other, they just went out of control. Now, here's the amazing thing, any one of these stupid dogs could have just trotted across the finish line. Any one of them, any one of them, but they're staring at the dumb rabbit and they're looking at it and they're, they're terrified by it, they're overtaken by it, any one of them could have kept going. I was thinking about this, that this week. I feel like we're like those dogs. And, and meanwhile, Jesus has taught us how to, when, when that moment happens of persecution or trial or suffering or we just go crazy, like, like we're just trained to stare at the trauma and the difficulty and what's around us and Jesus is going to teach us and he's taught Peter through his whole life and ministry, therefore we get to be recipients of that to look beyond the rabbit. That, that we continue to endure, that there is glory ahead, that there is a place we are going, that it is imperishable, undefiled, kept by God, that, that this is not our home. We don't live as if this is our permanent residence. It's amazing how he taught Peter that. He's going to teach us this, and this is why I think Peter starts the letter the way that he does. First Peter 1, I'm just giving you two verses. It's a great introduction. There's a lot here. One verse 1. Here's what Peter writes. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he calls himself an apostle. Now, just so we're clear, this is important. Uh, he's not just some guy with an opinion. Peter's an apostle. There, there are only 14 guys in the history of the world that could call themselves capital A apostles. You have the 12. You have Judas who is, betrays Jesus. Matthias is added. And then you have Paul. It's 14. You have 14 guys that were messages for Jesus. You have those who saw the risen Christ. In 1 Corinthians, this is why Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ? That's why they're able to write divine revelation. That's why they're able to be inspired by the Holy Spirit to write scripture. 
That's why we can trust the scriptures beyond all the other reasons that this is an apostle. Peter's telling us this is who he is. That's the basic qualification for an apostle. Have you seen Jesus? Have you walked with Jesus? So he's an authorized representative of Jesus. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So Peter's writing to those who have become Christians after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has come in power. The gospel's being preached, and what was strictly just a Jewish thing is now a global thing. So this is actually predominantly modern-day Turkey area where Gentiles are now trusting in Jesus. They can't believe that Jesus forgives sin. They can't believe that Jesus expands across ethnic boundaries. They can't believe that the good news of the gospel is available to them. And so these people are trusting in Jesus. And the reason there's this dispersion is because now they're worshiping none but Christ. And so in the Roman Empire, in the kingdom of kingdoms, that's not good. And so there's great persecution. There's empire-wide persecution. If you are calling yourself a Christian... You're the most despised, rejected of society because you don't worship Caesar, you don't worship Nero, you don't worship the emperors, you worship Jesus now. It it was so bad. You could just read about this. That Emperor Nero at the time, this is penned, I think he was emperor to like AD 68, that, that, that he would actually encase Christians in wax and set them in his garden and light them on fire. That, that Christians were crucified they were thrown into wild beasts. These people were terrified. These people were discouraged. These people were being persecuted. They were struggling. And that's why Peter calls them elect exiles. That's why he's calling us elect exiles, which is really just an oxymoron. <laughs> it's basically to say you're the, you're the most despised, looked down upon in all the world while simultaneously being the richest, most blessed person because you have Jesus Christ. (laughs) You you are an elect exile. You have this like dichotomous framework happening your entire life post becoming a Christian. That, That you are going to be rejected for your faith. That you are going to be persecuted because you love Jesus. That you are going to be despised. You are going to be looked down upon. And at the same time, you're the happiest, most rich, blessed person that exists because you have him now. You belong to Jesus and you have Jesus forever and finally. That's what he's uses these words. And so we're exiles. This isn't our permanent residence. So we don't act like it. We don't put our identity, our worth, our hope in this world. And even though you're rejected here, you belong somewhere to someone and his name is Jesus. Now I think Peter's pressing on really just two points. I think it forces us to ask two things. The first one is, are you an elect exile? (laughs) Because if you're not, the rest of this letter is kind of meaningless. Because that's who he's writing to. So, so first question is, am I a Christian? An elect exile, just are you a Christian? And then the second piece is, if I am, Peter wants you to know why this gives you rock solid identity and assurance and peace. So the first thing is that. Because if you don't understand you belong to Christ and not to culture, when adversity comes at you, you will be totally swallowed up. You'll be totally overtaken. 
Like if you forget you're not an elect exile, if you forget at any point in this journey together that that you don't belong to Jesus and you think you belong to culture, then you're going to be swept away. So the first question before we move forward is, are you an elect exile? Are you a Christian? I just want to ask you a couple questions because I love you. And I know if you've got church background, that's a dangerous place to be. But I would argue if you say no to any of these, you are, prob- you are not. <laughs> so first, do you believe that you're a sinner? <laughs> do, you, do you believe that you're an idolater? Do you believe that you've openly rebelled against the God of the universe? Do you believe that you believe that you being God is better than him being God? We studied 1 John. 1 John said if, if you say that's not you, then you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. So that's the first place to start. Do you just acknowledge you've fallen short of the glory of God? If your answer is no, you're not a Christian. Second thing I would ask you is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, sent to absorb the wrath of God as a sacrifice for your sin in your place? Do you believe that? Do you believe that because of your sin now, Jesus did come, but he was fully God and fully man, and he didn't come just to like make you happy. He actually appeases something. He stops God's wrath towards you, and then he actually is a sacrifice for you in your place. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. And then following that, the good news, do you believe that he actually takes your sin and he actually gifts you his righteousness? amazing news. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that you get righteousness alone from Christ and that he fully takes your sin, you can't be a Christian. And finally, I would ask you, do you believe that he was not only crucified for your sin, but that he did die and did rise from death bodily, literally, not just figuratively, in his resurrection on the third day? Because that is the only thing that validates that he can do everything that we just said before. If, if you don't believe those things, if you don't trust in those things, if you don't hold to those things, I'm telling you you've created something that's not historical or biblical. I don't, I don't know where you're at, but that, then you're not a Christian. Now, um, I want to ask one more question because beyond those, I realize that growing in grace, maturing as a Christian looks so different for different people. We're not called to perfection. We're called to repentance. We're called to love Jesus and pursue Jesus. So I would just... I would just ask you, do you have genuine love, genuine affection for Jesus? And don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. (laughs) Now, even as I say that, even as I say that, I know we're so emotively wired, so I feel like some of us... (laughs) Maybe when I say that, you're jumping back to like Wednesday night youth group where you sang the same song 83 times. To you, everyone rededicated their life. I'm not trying to get you there. Some of you guys are just wanting that like feel-good experience. You're trying to remember that time or at a retreat or a conference. You're like, yeah, that's when I had like affections for Jesus. Listen, those are beautiful moments. Those are wonderful times. God gives us moments of walking with him where we feel nearer to him than we ever have. But he, but he also gives us dark nights of the soul. He also gives us moments where we don't really see most people in the Bible get to walk in that state constantly. 
right? Apostles, Old Testament prophets, people who love Jesus. They have moments of being near. They also have a lot of moments where they're going, God, where are you? Right? So, so, so when I say that, what I'm really asking you is, are you serious about following him? Are you serious about following him? Are you, is there a desire in you to gladly submit to what Jesus says and submit to his will and submit to it in obedience, knowing that he's for you, not against you, knowing that he loves you as his child? Is that you? Because that's going to show up different in different ways for all of us. Sin's going to be exposed that you need to repent of later, earlier, sooner, different. But it's a trajectory, a slow, progressive trajectory of growing more like Jesus. So, are you an elect exile? And then following that, if you are, here's the good news. If you are, if you're in this room, you're like, yeah, I've repented of sin. I believe Jesus is the only one who can save me, the only one who can reconcile me to God, the only one who can give me forgiveness of sin. I, I, I have this Jesus. If, if that's you, now Peter wants you to know that you can have rock-solid assurance, comfort, and peace despite whatever comes at you. And this is why he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Peter opens up a window into what God did in eternity past to make you an elect exile. This is tremendously encouraging. He lays before us why you can take comfort in trial and persecution and pain because you're his. And his desire to make you his was part of the eternal plan of God. I mean, what, what comfort like that's, that's, that's amazing to me that, that God, that this foreknowledge word isn't just that God knew something would happen. It means he determined it. It's what the word means here. And this is not God going, hey, uh, you're a pretty good guy. I'm gonna pick you for my kingdom. Hey, you look like you'll do a good job, preach well, I'll pick you. That's not what this is saying. This is saying God, before speaking anything into existence, he decided to set his affections upon you. He set his love upon you. You're an elect exile. Man, all people are looking for value and worth today. I, I know you are because you're human. Everyone's looking for identity. Everyone's looking for someone to say, you matter. You're of worth, right? We all are. We're all looking for that. We're all searching that. Some people search for it in their ethnicity. Some search for it in their jobs. Some, some search for it in a relationship. Some search for it in whatever it is. But, but I love this. Some search for it in their works of righteousness, right? I, I want to just do more good deeds so everybody sees me and praises me and says I'm worthy. No, no, no. According to Peter, this is the answer. <laughs> you want to feel worth you want to feel acceptance, you want to feel secure, understand that God, planning out Christ, decided that you were in that plan and he would love you before you. Like there were no conditions. Like, like you didn't have a time to screw up yet. Isn't that encouraging? That's amazing. I mean, you don't need more psychology to understand your sense of worth. You don't need more philosophy to understand your sense of worth. You don't need a job promotion to understand your sense of worth. You do not need more money to understand your sense of worth. You do not need any of those things. What you need is to simply understand your position in Jesus Christ. That's what 
Peter's saying that you are an elect exile, that your value comes from belonging to him, that your identity, your worth is to know that God set his affections upon you before he created landscapes, before he formed mountains, before he lit stars to to shine. What other type of significance could you possibly have? There is none. (laughs) Because we're talking about God, not a person. Some of you are going, why? Because he wanted you. You're going, me? You. Now listen, (laughs) I'm with you right now. I know me, and I don't understand that. I'm well aware of broken, sinful Mike Reed. But listen, I don't have to fully understand something to get excited about it. And so, man, when I hear this and I read this, sinful, broken Mike Reed is saved by grace today because of God's eternal plan, that gets me excited. That makes me thankful. It makes me rejoice. It makes me give praise. No wonder Peter starts his letter this way. You can know your suffering is no surprise to God because he is near. And not only did God know your suffering would happen, he's not only in time, he stands outside of time and he walks you into it ready to navigate that with you. So he's not shocked. (laughs) It's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Peter says that you were saved for obedience. Now before you get off the rails (laughs) and become a workspace legalist, fundamentalist, What he's saying here, in the sanctification of the Spirit, he already told you justification happened using different words. Justification, big church word, try to grab it, sorry if you're new. Justification means that you are declared righteous before God solely by the work of Christ. That you positionally stand righteous because God did something for you in your place. That's what makes you an elect exile. All those who respond to Christ are elect exiles. All those who respond to the gospel and repent in faith are those who are elect exiles. So he's saying then there's a sanctification that happens in the spirit. He's saying you're being sanctified. That's another big word that just means you're being made more progressively like Jesus Christ. The spirit of God indwells you. He conforms you more to the image of the Son over time. Now the reason you gotta see that as you read these verses is if you miss, Peter is already talking to those who've already been made righteous by God's work alone, you're gonna think that what he teaches the rest of the book is what makes you an elect exile. Okay, I wanna make sure I always caution you from that. No, the elect exiles are living this way because of what God has already done. It's a lot of Galatians. Right, works flow out of, not for. Works don't make us his. They reveal that we are his. Enduring suffering does not make us his. Saying no to persecution does not make us God's child. It reveals that we are his child. It reveals that we can stand firm in grace and walk. Listen, you do not belong to Jesus because of you. You belong to Jesus because of him. You do not belong to Jesus because of you. You belong to Jesus because of him. And I love it. He just reminds you again of your identity and worth. He shed his blood to purchase you. That's how valuable this was. 
That's how necessary this was. You're of infinite value to him that he shed his blood. It was costly. It was gruesome. It was dirty. It was harsh. It was painful. Um, I don't know about you. I, I know what it feels like to feel when I know someone likes me. I know what it feels like to know someone loves me. Um, but to imagine the eternal God of the universe designing me into a plan before time began is an overwhelming thought at that love. And he just ends with, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, you can't have grace and peace if you don't belong to Jesus. You need grace. Grace is just what's given from God to undeserving people. It's despite you. He's for you. Um, then you need peace. The only reason you have peace with God is because God gave it to you in Christ. Listen, no one in this room today is without grace and peace. Right? Grace continues to motivate and keep the Christian going. We receive God's grace daily. And then peace. Peace is given to us through Christ. So grace and peace is not given to you by you. It's not by your works, merits, rights, and petitions. It's given to you by Jesus. You're an elect exile. You belong to Jesus. You're spiritually his. And we need peace, do we not? We need peace. I love how in the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet, as he's foreshadowing who would be Jesus, one of the names given is Prince of Peace. And then Paul kind of grabs it in his book to the Colossian church and says, let this peace of Christ, he was the Prince of Peace, rule your heart. Rule your heart. So if we don't feel peace, it might be because we're still living as if we are God. We need him to rule our hearts. The peace of his kingship, the peace of his rulership. Listen, no one has deceived you, betrayed you, lied to you more than you. We are definitely, perpetually our own worst enemies, are we not? And so for some of us, it's just this morning realizing, I want to be an elect exile. I want to be made new. I want to be his. I, I realize that there is no peace, that there is no grace, and you can receive that from Jesus. Some of you, part of God's gracious work in bringing you peace is wooing you into this room this morning so that you could hear the good news of the gospel that God saves, not you, that Jesus is righteous, you're not righteous, that Jesus is sinless and you're sinful, that you need his rule to be upon your heart. And maybe it'd be a good thing for some of you in the room, I don't know how you walk in here, but maybe it's good for you just to get on the table all the reasons you think that God can't love you. And let Christ just say to you, I've covered that, I've paid that in full through the work of my son. Let's ask him for help today. Jesus, thank you that you're good to us and we are not good to you. Thank you that we rebelled when we have wandered, that you have called us your own and that we would be called elect exiles, that we would be people who will be despised and will be shamed and will be persecuted, yet we have you. We belong to you. We are chosen by you. Jesus, I pray that would encourage our worth, our identity, our value. I pray that we would be standing on ground that's secure in the face of persecution and cultural change. God, you'd form us as a people that love you more than anything else. And Jesus, thank you for reminding us as we come to the table this morning that you shed your blood to remind us of how precious we are to you, how infinitely valuable we are to you. You shed your own blood and you broke your body so that we did not have to ourselves 
so that we did not have to pay the penalty for sin and the debt that was owed, and yet you gladly did that for us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray that many more would trust in you as Savior, King, Lord, Messiah. We pray that this place would be filled with people that have grace received from you and peace from you that rules our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a few minutes to come to the table. and I pray.